Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. This is part 17 in the series on the book of Romans, and we will be looking at Romans 8, verses 18 through 27. The title of the message is Hope When There Seems to Be None. My sources include Derek Thomas's How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home, the book by Stuart Aliot, The Gospel as It Really Is, John R.W. Stott, Men Made New, and R.C. Sproul, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith, a commentary on Romans. Romans 8, starting at verse 18, this is the word of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The grass withers. The flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Teach us, Lord Jesus. Teach us what it is to wait. Give us grace in our waiting, Lord. As this world can be very difficult, all of the struggles of life can be so difficult. Help us, give us extra grace, and especially encourage us with your word today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. John Stuart Mill, among others, argued that given the presence of evil in the world, God is either not omnipotent or not loving or good. That is, if evil exists because God does not want it to exist, but is unable to prevent it, then he is not omnipotent. If he is omnipotent but allows evil to exist, then he is neither loving nor good. Either way, according to Mill, the presence of evil is fatal to Christianity. So what are we supposed to do with something like that? Well, what is missing from Mill's oversimplified equation concerning pain and suffering in the world is the reality of sin. God not only tolerates violence and suffering, but he actually ordains it. Yet you cannot simply leave sin out of the equation. It is not 
that God lacks in goodness. It is that we lack in goodness. Believe it or not, in almost my 50 years of following Jesus Christ, I have heard quite a few Christians give easy, pat answers to the problem of evil and suffering in the world. But in essence, in our text, Paul the Apostle is saying that evil is real, that the whole world has been subjected to it. And then he goes on to give us three reasons why this present order cannot go on forever. So let's look at our outline, if you would, at this time. And the first of three lessons is creation groans. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul says the whole creation has been under the curse since the fall of man. It is awaiting deliverance from that curse so that not only do we suffer in this world, but the world itself is also suffering. You heard of the second law of thermodynamics or entropy? It basically states that the universe is running down, that everything in the universe is decaying. You think that's a coincidence? The Bible tells us in this text, no, it's no coincidence. And people know it. I mean, why do you think there's all the talk about climate change and going green and so forth? It's an all-out effort to save the planet. And I'm sure going green will produce a lot of positive effects, but let's be clear, even those of you with green thumbs can't keep something alive forever. In fact, according to Scripture, and specifically in our text, the universe is, according to Paul, in bondage to decay. In bondage to decay. Now, listen to what Jesus has in store for creation. Listen to Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the focus I want you to look at is in this first part of the verse where Jesus says at the renewal of all things. So he's talking about something that's going to be completely redone, remade. You think about all the bad things that are going on in this world. You've got earthquakes, you've got tornadoes, you've got hurricanes, drought, you have famine, you have flooding. I mean, so much rain last week and the week before, so much rain coming again. So, as a result, these are not to be read as signs of death, but as signs of birth, according to the Apostle Paul. Birth pangs. So, right now, creation is... Subject to futility in verse 20, groaning as in the pains of childbirth in verse 22, waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed in verse 19. So what does that mean? Especially that last one, waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. What is that about? What it means is right now it's very hard to tell who's a child of God and who is not a child of God because there are lots of counterfeits out there. But then, at the renewal of all things, Jesus says it will be very plain. It will be very plain to see who the true believers are. Creation is longing for that day. You know, if you ever go to a golf tournament, you'll notice that as with the popularity of golf at a professional golf tournament, they're, they're sometimes 10 to 20 deep 
And I don't know if you've ever done this. I, I'm tall, and even I have to, have to struggle to see over people in front of me and to see the action. And so that's kind of what creation is doing. Creation is straining at the neck on their tiptoes like someone in a crowd longing to see exactly what's going to happen at the renewal of all things and who the true sons of God are. The fall of mankind had this incredibly devastating effect on our creation. The whole creation is completely out of joint because of it. And God subjected the creation to this. As our text says, it didn't bring this upon itself. God decreed that the state of creation would be tied to the state of his highest creature, mankind. So when man rebelled, creation was affected. Which is why there's all these problems with creation. I went hunting one time this year. I like to go hunting with my cousins, and they asked me to come, so I went to Alabama with my brother. We went to the woods. We separated into different places. We walked to our stand, right? And so we split up and go different directions. And it's pretty interesting to walk through the woods. Because when a human being walks through the woods, the birds get quiet, and the animals get quiet. And so you're walking through the woods to your stand, and there's not a lot of activity going on. Because even creation is like there's a human being around. And so they get quiet. And then when you get settled in your stand, all of a sudden there's, there's all these birds starting to move again. Squirrels starting to move. Sounds again. It's like creation is like, okay, the human being's out of the way now. We can enjoy ourselves again. And, and that's kind of the way it is. Think about what will happen at the renewal of all things when Jesus said, the word of God says, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. You don't see that now because of the curse, but we will see that one day. God subjected it in hope. You see, he has determined that, and this is in your outline, that its present condition is not to be its permanent condition. The present condition of creation is not its permanent condition. In other words, when God's plan is complete and there is no more curse, the creation is going to share as much in the bliss of that day as it did prior to the time of the curse and the fall. So what's going to happen? According to Scripture, at the day of the Lord, the present creation will be destroyed and remade without a single trace of corruption. Nothing at all about creation will be spoiled. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what else? Creation cannot wait for that day because at that time creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption, according to verse 21. And creation will be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God, also verse 21. So the first lesson today is creation groans. The second lesson is the spirit Groans. The Holy Spirit groans. You know, as believers, we are overwhelmed from time to time with all sorts of difficulties. Those of you sitting here before me today, you've had difficulties that completely overwhelm you. If we're not for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within each of us who believe those difficulties could crush us. And when I experience that overwhelming sense of panic, which I do from time to time, I know I need to pray, but sometimes... I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray about certain situations. 
And so that's where verse 26 is a great encouragement to me and I hope to you. In the same way it says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Groans that are words that can't even express. And as Christians, inwardly, we, we long for the renewal of all things. We long to live in a perfect world. We long for the return of Jesus Christ, the great resurrection for the new heavens and the new earth. We groan inside because we belong to Jesus Christ. We inwardly long to be out of this fallen world and in the place where we belong. I mean, who stirs up those desires? The Holy Spirit stirs up those desires. And who communicates them to God? The Holy Spirit communicates them to God. So verse 27 says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. These inward aches, which we simply cannot put into words, have a meaning which is discerned and understood only by God. They are prayers according to the will of God, which are the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And since all prayers and all petitions asked according to God's will are heard and granted according to 1 John 5:14, this means our inward longings will eventually become a reality. And those inward groanings of the Spirit, they're nothing more than a guarantee that the present order of things will not Go on forever. So creation groans. The spirit groans. And then the last lesson is we groan. We groan. You you don't have to be a very astute observer to notice that in a world that struggles with all kinds of things, the greatest struggle for most people is hopelessness. Hopelessness. If you talk to people at all, you'll get the feeling in a conversation or or two, that some people are very, very discouraged about their life. Listen to people talk, you will hear people who are cynical about their life. They think that the world is going down the tubes. Listen to verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Paul says. We've grown Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So what does that mean? Well, a child dies. A young person dies. Or someone dies in a way that surprises us. And we don't know how to take that news. And we let out a groan. I went to the funeral yesterday of a lady that I really don't know. I know her husband. But I went because people I care about were broken hearted over her sudden death. A lady that was not diagnosed as ill until the day after Christmas. And then passed away less than two months later. A lady who is with Jesus now, from what I'm told in the service. And that's a great encouragement. And I was going to the funeral and I had a flat tire. My car was not driving right. 
I'm not smart enough to recognize a flat. So uh, I'm driving for about 50 yards and go, okay, something's wrong here. So put it in park, get out, I've got a flat tire. Walk back to the house, get the other car, my wife's car, and go to the funeral. Then afterwards I call for help because you actually need a degree now to get a tire, a spare tire, out from under a car. And, uh, yeah, so... Um, but this man comes to change my tire, and I, I just, I'm a talker, so I'm talking to him and told him I went to a funeral today, and he said, yeah, I had a funeral today as well. Who died? My grandson. I said, how old was your grandson? Three. And I let out a groan. He said, well, you know, he's been sick his whole life. And... Couldn't breathe, so they had to do a trach the last few months. And so my heart ached for him. Here's a man out changing my tire, and his grandson died this week. There's all these things like this that happen. Maybe, maybe someone that we love has something happen to them that breaks our heart. They don't die necessarily, but they have a tremendous problem, and it breaks our hearts. We've grown some more. Yet the Apostle Paul says that our groaning is a sign of our hope. It's a sign of our hope. We are longing for something better. Because this is just isn't right. It's just not right for three-year-olds to die. It's just not right for someone who's not been sick to all of a sudden get sick and then die within two months. It's just not right. So if we're a Christian... We have the promise that there is going to be something better than this. So as we've grown, we remember our hope that someday things will be so much better. Living in the world is not always as good for some as it is for others, which is why many people, politicians, for example, propose solutions that will make our world better for all. And that's where you get ideas like socialism. It hasn't worked very well in other countries. Karl Marx was a socialist revolutionary who believed that religion, religion was invented for economic reasons. Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people, an imaginary coping device that makes suffering in this world more bearable. The original sin, according to Marx, the institution of property rights. Well, Marx was an atheist who felt that the church presented obstacles to utopia. Utopia represents heaven, ultimately created, he said, by man on earth. The collective state as a whole in Marxism becomes God, in his view. So basically, he wanted to eliminate Christianity from society. Marx lived over 200 years ago. He was wrong then. He's wrong now. Obviously, I have no use for Marx, what he said, because I believe God's word to be true. This is not some imaginary pie in the sky that I'm sharing with you today. Faithful and true is the word of God. I believe that God's word is true, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God's promises are unbreakable. And I've staked my whole life on the promises of God. 
The biblical worldview that we embrace points us to a hope that is greater than the world that we live in. The full adoption, the resurrection of our bodies, living in the new heavens and the new earth, all of this will be ours. And what we experience here on this earth, Paul says, there's no comparison to what we will experience in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Your relationship to Christ, if you have a relationship to Christ through the Holy Spirit, should fill you with an eternal sense of hopefulness. In fact, for the believer, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Bertrand Russell was a British philosopher, a mathematician, an outspoken atheist of the last century. He even wrote a book entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. When he was 81 years old, he was interviewed by the BBC as a radio talk show. And the interviewer asked him what he had to hang on to with death being obviously close. His response, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding Despair. What an honest but hopeless response. The truth is, when you live only for this life and the things of this life, and when you think that this life is all that there is, I don't know how you can escape despair. Two words come up in this text again and again. I don't know if you noticed when I'm reading, but sufferings and glory. The sufferings and the glory are characteristic of the two ages. The present age... And the age to come. And the one actually leads to the other. But in the meantime, we groan. Why do we groan? We groan when we recognize that there is this huge gap between what is and what ought to be. The battle against sin makes us groan because we yearn for the day when our victory will be complete and sin will be done with. We groan because we long for the day of resurrection When we will have new bodies, we won't have to deal with bodies that get sick and die. And at that time, at the same time, we will hope until that day comes. Our text says it this way. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And we walk by faith, not by sight. And so as a result, there is this struggle in life to trust, to trust God's will, to trust that God's word is true. You know, in the New Testament, the word hope does not mean a fond wish. It means an absolute certainty. We are saved in hope. The completion of our salvation is yet to come, but there is no doubt whatsoever that it will come. So we endure the weight with hope, knowing that glory will follow our present sufferings. And that hope for the future can and should affect our present disposition. Your life should be different because of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, then I understand why you give in to despair. And even with Christ, it's so hard at times to not give in to despair. But there is no such thing as a hopeless situation in the eyes of God. So take hope, take courage today, 
Be comforted in the strength of God's word. And as we turn to our verse of the week, which is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. I love these verses because they're such an encouragement to us who are fighting the good fight every single day. And so if you're struggling, I understand you're struggling. You're struggling because you live in a world that has gone wrong. That looks to all kinds of things for solutions. And they're not solutions. The only true solution to the struggle you have is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we long for encouragement. And here it is in 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16. Let's read it together. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and thank you for coming to us. For showing us who God was. What God was like. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our example. Thank you for being our life, our hope, our strength. And Lord, this, this world we live in is so hard and there's so much sadness and so much difficulty. And, and we can easily give in to despair. So keep our eyes upon you, Lord, that we might remember that you fought that good fight on our behalf. And you have conquered death and the grave that we might also conquer it. And so thank you for our salvation. If we're in Christ, if we repented of sin and trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, then we have the hope of the gospel in our, in our bones, Lord. And so I pray that you would stir our hearts today to hopefulness and take away the hopelessness of this short life and give us eyes to the future that you have in store for us. May we bask at this moment in your wonderful presence. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.